The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, good morning, Fathom Church. Good morning. It's a blessing to be with you all this morning. If we haven't had the pleasure yet, my name is Joel Cathy. I'm one of the pastoral interns here, and I also run the young adult ministry. So today I have the privilege of continuing our series in the book of Matthew. So this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 7. I'd love it if you joined with me there uh, in your Bibles. There's also black Bibles underneath every chair, and this passage can be found on page 823. And that's Matthew 18, starting in verse 7 to verse 9. Now as you turn there, uh, as I mentioned, I have the joy of running the college ministry here with my wife, Megan. Uh, we do several different events with the young adults. Uh, during the semester for them, we do an exegetical Bible study of some kind. Uh, we also like meeting with them one-on-one for discipleship. Um, with our different events and things we do, one in particular is called Theological Milkshakes. It's a college ministry, so I had to give it a fun name for it. So this is where we fellowship at Chick-fil-A over some milkshakes. So it's Chick-fil-A, so it is blessed dairy. And we bring, I ask the students to bring different questions, the harder questions of Christianity, whether that's Christian doctrine, different verses, controversies, just different things about our culture that we just have questions about and we talk about it. And sometimes even just the random Bible verses, I'll bring them up, that are just a little hard to deal with because let's be real, some of the Bible at face value is just odd. (laughs) You just read that verse and it's like, well, that didn't make any sense. It's a little hard to understand. So what we do, uh, at least with this event in the ministry, we take the question, we take the text, and we analyze it with biblical perspective. We kind of have an open table discussion about it, and we use resources like well, the Bible, obviously, uh, gr- the Greek interlinear, so going back to the original language, we use commentaries and other verses that are similar to it to understand it. So it's a really great time, and the milkshakes are pretty good, too. So in our text today, or our text today kind of falls in the category of that last one of just kind of like some verses that face value, that's odd, or that seems a little intense. So they kind of need to be impacted, they need to be interpreted kind of clearly, and then applied seriously. So that's kind of what we're going to do today with our time. With that, let's dive right in. So again, we're in Matthew 18, starting in verse 7 to verse 9. I'm going to go and read the whole thing for us today, if you'd follow along. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. So we'll stop right there. All right, so some interesting commands here. Thanks, Chris, for giving me this one. (laughs) If someone just picked up their Bible and read this section, there would be some reasonable confusion, right? Maybe even a little disgust. It's like, gouge out your eye. Gross. That's, 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 That's kind of odd, and that's gross. So some explaining is needed here. So we're going to work through this together to understand what Jesus is really trying to communicate to us about the, temp- about the subject of temptation and stumbling in sin, which is our focus today. So let's work through it. 
Verse seven starts with a cry of grief for the world and its fallen state. The Greek word here implies concern, but it's also used as a righteous rebuke in different times where Jesus uses this. He says, woe or alas to the world for the temptation to sin. The verse continues that it's actually necessary that this comes. So why, why is that? Why does it say that? The verse appears to address kind of the natural compulsion and the cause and effect associated with man's fall to sin and the way man often walks in choosing God's way or his own. Now, this phrase, temptations to sin, or causes people to stumble, is actually just one word in the Greek, and it's scandalon. Scandalon. Now, this verse means a snare or a trap of some kind, which is actually, that's also where we get our word scandal or scandalous. Essentially, it is saying that it is necessary. It's declaring the, the unfortunate state of the world and its consequences. People deceive others. That's what happens. People are deceived. And it is a sorrowful occurrence. It's also evil that this happens to all involved, especially those who cause it. And Jesus responds to it appropriately. So with Jesus's appropriate sorrow and condemnation of this, we move into kind of the intense commands of verse eight and nine, to dismember yourself, to avoid sin. Now this action is done in the form of hyperbole. It's, an, it's a notable exaggeration to prove a point or highlight a seriousness of what he's saying. And this is often used in rabbinic teachings in Jesus's time. And I could say this with, with certainty that this is the case because there are accounts in the Old Testament where mutilating your body was an act of worship or inciting false gods, like in 1 Kings 18 with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. The Bible is not calling you to literally cut off your body parts to stop sinning. Say that again. The Bible is not calling you to literally cut off your body parts to stop sinning. It's not like, ah, I, I shove someone with my hand in anger. Chop, chop, I guess. Or, ah, I looked at something I shouldn't have again. I guess I need a Red Ryder BB gun. <laughs> if you caught that, shoot your eye out. Appreciate you laughing. Thank you. This is not the case. This is not the case. One, because our flesh would simply find a new body part or a new place to sin if we got rid of one. And two, Jesus is demonstrating to his followers the weight and the seriousness of stumbling and temptation and, and the comparison of what it leads to. Now, I do want to make a clarification as we go just with this idea of temptation and as I use the word temptation. Uh, there's a distinct difference between feeling temptation, feeling tempted to do something you know is wrong, and actually doing it. Seems simple, but you, you are not actively sinning by feeling a certain desire. It matters, though, what you do with it. We are still, quote, on this side of eternity, we'll still wrestle and we'll struggle with our sin or the desires of the flesh. And as Christians, we would actually call this our residual sin. Little, little bit of doctrine. This is our residual sin, the part of our flesh and our habits that we still deal with, even as we're saved. That's what I mean by that. But praise God that he is sanctifying us. 
day by day, transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. Praise God in our walk with him. So again, as I use the word temptation throughout our time today, I'm referring to scandalon, the word that it means, the stumbling, the going into the snare, if that makes sense, not the test of temptation itself. So as we continue into our passage, my desire for our time is that we would build a proper and functioning view of what temptation is and stumbling blocks. Now, I think we're we're gonna agree on these views together. I don't doubt that. But my question and my challenge to you today is how seriously do you take this? How seriously do you take temptation and sin in your life? So my first view in building our perspective on what temptation really is, is that temptation is dangerous. My first view, temptation is dangerous. And this engages the first half of verse eight, if you read with me again. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. We'll stop there. This goes with the direct meaning of the word scandalon. It's dangerous. It's like a trap or a snare that intends you harm. Considering temptation like that, it's like a trap or a snare that intends you harm. It's dangerous. Now, in respect to your, your spiritual life, I'm saying holistically, I'm going to associate a couple things. When it says your hands, because it brings both your hands and your feet, I'm going to associate your hands stumbling blocks with your tendencies, with your tendencies, your sinful tendencies, what what you do with your hands and your actions. And then I'm gonna also associate your feet, as it brings that up, your feet's stumbling blocks or temptations as the places you go. We'll kind of make the distinction there. I think this represents an external warning, an external warning in avoiding sin. It says your hands and the tendencies that you, the tendencies that you have, and then your feet, the places you go. When you choose to do something in your heart or choose to do something and in your heart you know that it's not what God has for you, you, you have that feeling like this isn't, I know kind of this isn't right. At least with your feet, you're placing yourself in a position that exposes you to dangerous and harmful sin that ultimately harms us and others around us. This kind of sin leads to broken relationships. It leads to addiction poor influences on others, and things like that. Again, I do want to make an important clarification here. When I say it's dangerous, when temptation is a danger, I do not mean it is a danger to your status with God. Be very clear about that. This does not threaten your eternal identity as a son or or a daughter, as a newborn believer in Christ. This doesn't threaten that. Because if it did, then you would be saved by your own performance. You would be saved by how you respond to temptation and not by God's undeserved mercy, ultimately. But rather, your intimacy is threatened with God. Your intimacy with him, your closeness, even your communication with him can be hindered. And there's different verses that say that. And this can harm others too. I think the weight of this is definitely affirmed in the verse right before this, in the context, Jesus is warning them against leading the little ones astray. If you remember, we talked about that last week. So in the same way, it is dangerous and harmful. 
I think this kind of temptation uh, manifests itself in the personal struggles of your life with, with tendencies like maybe your hands. For example, this could be having habitual dishonesty at work, maybe selfishness with your resources, a lack of discernment with gossip, prideful and put down comparisons with others. Whatever comes to your mind, when I say sinful tendencies, whenever, what, what comes to your mind when I say that, of like, ah, yeah, yeah, I do that. I, I, I know I shouldn't, but I, but I do. For, your sin, for sinful places with your feet, it looks different as well. Consider, consider this. Maybe it's going to that work group hangout where you're always just kind of caught up in their bad decisions, a place you go. Or maybe it's a street downtown with inappropriate graffiti on it, and you, all, you still choose to drive down that way. Or maybe it's, quote, going on social media. I know that, that death scroll, well, Facebook and Instagram, that can just kind of suck you in and sometimes leads you to places you shouldn't go. And I struggle with that sometimes. I, I have to be wary about the places that I go. So I ask you, church, what are those tendencies for you? What are your... Where are those places? What do your hands lead you to do? Where do your feet keep taking you? Away from what God says is good and to what is corrupt. Sin is dangerous and it intends to do you harm. Now I know this is kind of more of a a heavy self-reflection. If you were kind of hoping for a positive, encouraging Caleb kind of message, this, this may not be for you. But I'm asking you, embrace the heavy side with me for a little bit. Embrace the heavy side a little bit, this kind of heavier self-reflection. I ask you, consider these kind of questions like a, like a health checkup at a doctor's appointment or, or an important inspection with your car mechanic. It matters. It matters. Clearly, it matters based on what the word tells us, and it's worth reflecting on. So with temptation being dangerous, I want to share a little story, a recent story. Uh, my wife and I have moved here um, from Grand Junction. We've been here for about two years now. Uh, we got married in the summer of 2021, and we moved to Denver shortly afterwards. Now, I know the first place, the first like apartment or house that you live in as a married couple is supposed to be bad, right? Set the, set the bar really, really low so you just feel like you're working up together as a couple. So I knew that. But man, I didn't know I'd have as many stories as I do from our first place. Just a synopsis. It was, it was rough. It was pretty rough. We had bugs. We had mice. The shared laundry would ruin our clothes. Our water at different times either turned brown, smelled like sulfur, or completely shut off for over two days. Not, not great. Another part of our place that it was on the sketchier side of town too. So we had those blessings. And then we were also in the middle of a sketchy uh, side of town, kind of like between Denver and Aurora. So I like to say the, uh, the ratio of silence to sirens is a lot better here <laughs> in Littleton compared to, compared to downtown Denver. Something, sometimes we'd hear shouting, loud noises, you know, kind of the things that you would call the cops about. And they were there relatively often. Now, sometimes there'd be a bang, or like a larger noise from outside that would wake us both up in the bedroom. So I sent Megan to go take care of it. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding, it's a joke. 
I went to take care of it. I would go check, you know, see if, I mean, I want to make sure we're safe. I, you know, check it out, see if the cops need to be called, because I'm sure there was actually some gang violence going on. Even on our fourth floor, I remember one time looking out, and there was literally a group of guys on, a different si- on the different side of the apartment, and it was, the cops came. It was less than good. So imagine, though, I'm in, I'm, we're in the bedroom, and then I hear a loud bang or a loud noise from the living room. And imagine if I just kind of like heard it and then just decided to roll back over. Pretend it wasn't there, right? That would be foolish. That would be foolish. If there's a threat close to my home or even in my home, I want to be wary of it, right? I wanted to be wary of it and I wanted to respond. What if you considered temptation and sin like that? What if you considered temptation like an intruder in your living room with you and the ones you care about in the other room? Wouldn't that change your mindset just a little bit about it? It's dangerous, like, like an intruder who means you harm. It might, I hope it would take you from, if you were, just had apathy or disinterest, it's like, that's it's a little bit of sin. It's bad habits in my life. It's places I go, but it, you, know, it's, you know, it's just something like that. And change it with this perspective to an alertness and maybe even a protective aggression, a good one, a godly protective aggression over your home. Because I think it should. I think it should affect us like this. So, an indulging temptation is dangerous, and not only dangerous, to continue to build our view of what it really is, is that indulging temptation is poisonous. Indulging temptation is poisonous. When we give in to sin, when we choose to live in sin, it's like we're consuming toxic poison, toxic waste into us. Now, this correlates with what we see in the first half of verse 9. And don't worry, I'm going to address the latter half of both verses 8 and 9 in just a little bit. But verse 9 commands this, And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, this verse is often associated with the Christian virtue of purity, not looking at things that you shouldn't, shouldn't be. And this is absolutely true. I believe that is true, and I think it's echoed in Scripture. I also think that it engages a larger internal perspective, an internal warning for you as the Christian. I think the first one with your hands and your feet of external things that you do, but for this one, I think it engages the internal a little bit. As you walk as a believer, your unseen thoughts, your motives, your perspectives, and your desires. Because there's such a distinct toxicity to sin, y'all. It takes something good that God made and distorts it into something that only pleases us or glorifies us. It takes, it takes the intimacy of marriage and twists it into pornography. It takes being a wise steward with your resources and it just changes it into greed. It takes being passionate about your talents, the talents you have, and kind of makes it into a self-absorbed arrogance. It takes pizza and it puts pineapple on it. (laughs) Get an amen. Amen. Temptation is toxic. It's distorted of what God intended to be good. 
Now, with this idea of temptation being poisonous and toxic, I wanted to give you all a hypothetical situation. I want you to go and picture yourself getting ready for an event, whatever your work includes, and just imagine you're preparing for it, like a budget meeting or you're leading a project or just, just something kind of important and you're getting ready. So you, you, you dress nice, you clean up, you do your hair, but before you walk out the door, you go to the kitchen first, you need a drink, just clear your throat, you know? You should picture yourself going into the fridge and there on the shelf is a gallon of milk. So you take it, whether, or if you're dairy-free, it's, it's almond milk or soy milk or co- whatever they've decided to milk. But you open it, you, you've been there, you've been there. You open it, and you get ready to take a drink, and you take a whiff. <clears throat> Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's rotten. You know, kind of that sweet, sour smell that milk has, just bad. You squeeze the carton a little bit, and you see the chunks moon, and it's like, that's, that's nasty. I'm not trying to gross you all out, but that's, that's just awful, right? We can picture that. We've been there. Now, who in their right minds would take a drink of this milk? In general, but especially before you're about to go work on something important, before you have a, something that you really want to work on and do well, and not only drink it, just down the whole chunky gallon, as awful as that is to imagine, that doesn't make sense. Right? That doesn't make sense. When you're giving into temptation and sin, when you're giving into temptation and sin, and then trying to live for God with good focus, it's like you're drinking a gallon of spoiled milk before you go to work. It's self sabotage. Now, I'm not just, I'm not trying to gross you out, even though that was a pretty gross visual. But what if, again, I ask you, what if you viewed sin and temptation that way? What if you viewed it like that, as vile, corrupt, it's toxic, it's poisonous? As a Christian, indulging in temptation is just toxic for your spiritual focus and your health. Because in reality, it just brings shame, right? Afterwards, loneliness, an emotional distance from God, and even numbness with a continual intake of it. The word makes it so clear that God calls us away from these things, calls us away, and gives us his ways that are far better, no comparison. I want to encourage y'all to remember this side of temptation, this view of temptation when you feel the next, which you're going to, when when you feel that pressure to do that thing. I want you to remember it this way or try to, that it it promises to be sweet and satisfying. But in reality, it's just toxic. It's poisonous, and it will wreck you on the inside and your ability to function. So as we continue building our view, I do want to address, as I said I would, the ending of both of these verses. If you'll follow follow along with me at the end of verse 8, because both of these verses uh, end with similar phrases and connotations. Verse eight ends with, it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And verse nine ends, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. We'll stop there. So a couple quick clarifications for these endings. Again, Jesus appears to be showing the weight and the consequence 
of choosing to live in sin, which leads ultimately to eternal separation from him. So I'd say that simplified, the meaning is this. It is far better to go to life, to go to heaven and suffer not having or not enjoying the things that cause us to sin than to enjoy them here and then be eternally cast away. And again, encourage you, church, this is not necessarily describing a Christian's struggle with residual sin, with sin, but rather living and fully rejecting God and embracing the stumbling trap of sin. The word says this will lead to eternal damnation. Now with the phrase entering life, as it says, uh, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, there will be perfect glorified bodies given at the proper time. So as you like entering life with, without your hand or without your eye, for example, so like the saints who were sawn in two for their faith did not enter glory or remained or are gonna be raised as their crippled, dismembered selves. That's not what it's saying with those verses. Now church, if you are in Christ, this is not meant to simply generate a fear of rejection with this kind of eternity language here. A fear of rejection based on your performance, but rather the seriousness, the weight of your call. The call to God's ways, especially because of how harmful sin is to your life, like we've talked about. On the other hand, the one that's not cut off. That was a joke from Ryan from Soundbooth. <laughs> On the other hand, if you are not in Christ, we love that you are here. I want to say that as well. If you are not in Christ, you know in your heart and your spirit, you do not have a personal relationship with Christ. Not a perfect one, but a personal one. And the things of this world that are sin is, that's where your heart is. That's where you are. Then yes, then yes. Maybe these verses should strike a healthy reminder of what unrepentant sin ultimately leads to. But with that, praise God that we have deliverance. Praise God we are not stuck in that, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Now, my final, final view of temptation that engages both the reality of sin, but is, I'd say, beyond just what it does to us, like we've discussed so far, is the divine relational aspect of sin and temptation. And it's this, between us and God, temptation is rebellious. That's our third view. It's dangerous, it's poisonous, it's toxic, and it's rebellious. Deciding to indulge temptation is essentially being unfaithful to God. That's what it is. It's declaring that this sin, again, maybe some twisted version of what God made, of a good thing, is saying that this is better than what God has for me in righteousness. Again, your true value and your true priorities will be shown in what you do with these temptations or when you're tempted by something. And with it being rebellious the, or a relationship, the Bible shows us multiple places and often some negative examples of how, sin, again, of how sin and stumbling is relational. Even consider the original sin back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. What did they do? And how does it engage our views and what God or what Jesus describes here? Despite God's command, they saw and believed that the fruit was good to eat. 
So they took the step of taking it and eating it. And in so they rebelled against God and the pure relationship was severed. Another example, one that God literally laid out for, uh, for Israel was the account of Hosea. The Old Testament prophet was led to marry an, a continuously unfaithful woman to parallel Israel's continuous rebellion against God, but like a relationship, indulging temptation is comparable to that, to unfaithfulness, cheating in a relationship. Have you ever thought of sin that way? Have you ever thought of sin like that? Unfaithful to a relationship. Now, I I implore you to, to do, to do so. Not to leave you in guilt, not to just wreck you with, with shame about your struggles, but rather to embrace a seriousness and an intimacy to your call with God. It's my encouragement to you. Now, as I said before, as we build a proper view of what temptation is so that we can be properly influenced how we live our lives, how we actually live it out, I found that similarly to our walk with Jesus, and we've said this at Fathom, that belief precedes behavior right? Or Chris has said that multiple times. Belief precedes behavior. And I believe it applies here too. What you truly believe about what temptation and what stumbling is will impact how you respond to it, how you respond to being tempted by it. Now, as we transition our mindset into or about indulging temptation to how we like respond to it in practical ways, I do wanna share a passage with a very similar call to ours that I think gives us a very helpful view of our dynamic with God. And this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses four through five. And I'll go ahead and put this on the screen as well. It says, you've probably, probably seen this one before, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor and not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. So God's will for us is evident in both of these passages to abstain and avoid harmful sin. We should control. Now, the unique thing of this verse actually lies in that command to control his own body because the Greek actually implies a possession, acquiring something, owning it. That's not, that's not really what we think of when you see that verse to control, right? At least maybe not naturally. The command is not merely trying to say, manage your body with do's and don'ts, like just kind of try to control it, but rather to be, quote, owned and operated. I love that idea. I'm owned and operated in the larger picture by the Spirit, by God, not by the world and not even my own will. I am owned by God. My being is fully his. And I want to live like it. You want to live like it. Let God have ownership in your life as we turn to what we do because we belong to him when there are stumbling blocks or temptations in your life. Now, the first response I propose to you today aligns with the, with the language of the text, and that is we cut out. Part of our response is we cut out. In the light of temptation being dangerous or intending harm, by God's guidance and empowerment, we cut out. We cut out those habits or those places where temptation abounds. Hebrews 12.1, we cast off the weights that hinder us from running our race. Christians, we must be willing to sacrifice even our close members 
like in his visual of cutting off your hands or your feet, those places, cutting off those close members that are or lead to sin. We cut out or we remove ourselves, specifically from like dangerous places. Proverbs 7 illustrates a dangerous spiritual place as the, the street that the prostitute lives on at night. Proverb goes that the young man went foolishly and he walked down and is led to death. So I ask you, what about you? I'm gonna be a broken record with this. What about you? Where is her street? That doesn't have to be a, that, like a general temptation or sin, but like for you, where is her street personally in your spiritual walk? Honestly, that's a great idea or a great question to throw in your face or cry out to God to throw in your face when you start heading that direction is, where are you going? Where are you going? Don't you, don't you know? Don't you remember where that leads? Again, what if you viewed temptation like this, cutting it out? It's dangerous. It intends you harm. Remove yourself. Second Timothy 2, flee. <laughs> Get out of there. God has provided a different path. He's provided a different path for you to pursue in righteousness. Praise him for that. He provides an escape and a way out, as we heard this morning in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's a good one to memorize. He's not, he's not like the teacher who, who gives you a test and then leaves the room, gives you a temptation and leaves the room. Rather, he's the father who is right there with his child, with you, your father, who's right there with you to help you and to keep you from sin. I think a, par a parallel point, as I said, to cutting out, I'd encourage you to add in, <laughs> adding in, replacing those tendencies and those places with godly ones instead of the, the death scroll on social media that, that can lead to other things, go for a prayer walk. Go for a walk and talk with God. Go on a drive and put, put on some good worship music. Seek God and be filled and protected. Now, in response to temptation being poisonous, as we seek him, we do this. We guard in. We guard in. We don't guard den. This is, this is not a spiritual warfare with tomatoes. But if it works for you, you do you. We guard. We guard inwardly our intake. And I think that's done or thought of in multiple ways. I don't, I'd compare this to the idea of watching what you eat. If you want to be healthy, if you want to be, you have to be moderately aware of the kinds of things that you're eating, right? Identifying the good things to be intaking and identifying the toxic things to avoid. Unless it's dessert. That one, that one doesn't count. That one's just good. <laughs> Another way we guard our intake is by accountability. We, sh we make ourselves accountable to our close brothers and sisters about what we struggle with. God just designed us to flourish with fellowship and reliance both on him and with each other. James 5, 16, confess to one another. Pray for one another. We can better guard ourselves. We can guard ourselves from poison when we're surrounded by, intimate, by an intimate community that loves God and loves you. We're having our Jonathans, if you remember, from our first Samuel study. In response to temptation being a relational rebellion against our loving father, we do a very simple but very powerful thing. 
is that we look up. We look to God. We look up. This response is by far the most critical for the life of the believer. Everything that we've said so far, which is good things, but like building a mindset about temptation, doing practical godly living, all those things are ultimately powerless if God's truth and power are not personally involved in your life. Otherwise, you're just trying tactics. We must be set on the rock of truth and with eternal perspective. Again, it, is, it does start with our mindset. Romans 12, 1 and 2 calls us to renew our minds, renew our minds and be transformed in our lives and our focus. Because so often in the midst of stumbling or, or doing the thing, we're just, we're afflicted with tunnel vision, right? Been there, we've all been there. I just, I, I can't think, I can't focus. I'm unable to reason and even like consider God's heart towards this choice especially in those moments, we need to cry out. We need to look up to God with your thoughts and maybe even with your actual voice in those moments. I mean, what if you cried out to God in that moment and asked him for deliverance? What would happen? So as, as we've discussed, there's definitely wise ways to abstain from toxic or from toxic sin and, and stay off the dangerous roads. But sometimes we are tossed into a moment, aren't we? We're tossed into a moment leading to temptation that we didn't even seek out. It's just in our face. And especially in those moments as well, we need to look up. We need to look up and listen. But I've absolutely had different moments like this for me personally. Uh, there's times when, for me, it was the pressure of a sexual temptation that was just kind of just building for me. And I cried out to God. I cried out in that moment. And the Holy Spirit speaks, y'all. Praise God for that. Because in that moment, I heard a clear word to get up, leave my apartment, and go for a walk. I think I, think I literally I like got up, chucked my phone across the room, and just left. And by God's grace, he helped me do that. And I was able to avoid the toxic sin. Now, my walk has not been perfect. And I, and I don't pretend to give the impression that I have made it, and, and you can take these steps and be as spiritual as me one day. <laughs> Far from it. I'm reminded all the time of God's amazing grace to me. And I praise him for it. In my spiritual victories and in my giving into the flesh as we engage temptation. Because he is the one who is carrying me and my secure walk with him, not the other way around. I'm not carrying that, he's carrying me. Now, in God, in Jesus, he does give us a perfect example of one thing to do of combating temptation, specifically in Luke 4. What does he do when the devil tempts him? What does he do? He quotes the word, right? The scriptures are full of power and authority. They all are the very words of God. And his name, his very name has power. Not, not like, a, like a mystical incantation, like you, you say it out just right and it'll have an effect, but rather it's a powerful reminder and a powerful truth that we have in Christ when stumbling blocks come against us. Memorize the word, y'all. That's, if you take anything, memorize the word. Hide it in your hearts so that you might not sin against him. That's Psalm 119, verse 11. Because so often in our moments of struggle or in those moments, the spirit brings those verses, doesn't he? Those, he brings those ones that we've, we have hidden in our hearts to give us the strength, to give us the strength when we need. 
Memorize the word, hide it in your heart, and meditate on it. Now, with all this temptation or all this perspective on temptation, all these practical steps, all these spiritual practices, an important aspect should still be addressed in this. What happens when I fall? We're talking about temptation. What happens when I do it? When I do the thing? The moments when I thought I was so prepared to fight temptation, and then I just crumbled again. Those moments, I think especially after you've been saved, just have a different weight to them, don't they? It's just heavy. Hear me, church. Your heavenly father loves you. He loves you so much. He died for you, the gospel. Not just for the sins before you surrendered to him, but the ones afterwards, the one last week, the one yesterday or this morning, or that's gonna happen this afternoon. He loves you. If, if someone here just needs to be reminded of that gospel fact, in all our struggle and everything that is going on in your life, God loves you. God loves you. Not reluctantly. He doesn't love you reluctantly. Not out of disgust for our struggles. Not, not holding you at arm's length because you're just not clean enough. He embraces you. Do you know that? You come to him, he embraces you like a father and his son. I encourage you to kind of have a healthy rhythm of this, of giving yourself grace. Give yourself grace in failure. And the rhythm of drawing after that, drawing close to the father for direction from what you were doing. Now, I want to read a devotional form dialogue for you this morning from Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Excellent book. This was inspired from the heart of John 6, verses 37 to 39. It was kind of formed into a devotional conversation between you and Jesus. I'm going to read this through for us, um, and I'd love for you to actually imagine that you're talking to God, talking to Jesus in this. Because a healthy reminder, when you pray, you are. When you pray, you are communicating with Jesus. You're communicating with God. The dialogue goes like this. I'm gonna go and put it on the screen for you so you can kind of follow along. I'm gonna read out this dialogue and I encourage you, insert your own struggle. Whatever, whatever that is for you, insert that into this conversation as I go. <clears throat> no wait, we say cautiously approaching Jesus. You, you don't understand, I've, I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. Well, you you know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's, there's a perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it's not just my past, it's, it's my present, it's my present too. He says, I understand. Ah, but I, I don't know if I can actually break of this anytime soon. That's the kind of person I'm here to help. We say the burden is heavy and heavier all the time. He says, then let me carry it. Ah, it's, it's too much to bear. Not for me. 
you, you don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're, to get, they're against you. He says, then I'm the one most suited to forgive them. But the, the more ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll be fed up with me. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What a beautiful word. In our struggles, in our continual wrestling with sin, Jesus reminds us that he's got us. He has got us. As we come to him as his children, he will never cast us out. So where does this passage apply to you today? As you reflect on your own life and your struggles with sin, what do you need to do? So today I've titled this sermon, uh, Mortify and Fortify. I didn't forget to put it at the beginning. I just wanted to share it with you now after what we've talked about. To mortify and fortify. Nice little rhyme for you. Help you remember. To mortify something is to put it to death, to subdue it. Spiritually, this is discipline, combating the flesh's desires like we've talked about with cutting out and guarding in. Wakanda, that's not what I meant. (laughs) just came out. Cutting out and adding in and guarding in against temptation. To fortify is to defend, to protect, to keep safe. Because we, by doing this, we look up. We're looking up and we're remembering what sin is, what temptation really is. And we trust that the power of God is sufficient for us and that his ways are better. His ways are far better than anything this world could offer in this life. We look up to him, we guard, we fortify our minds and our lives, reminding ourselves again, temptation is dangerous, it's poisonous, and it's an act of rebellion against a God who loves us dearly. Again, what about you? I'm a broken record, what about you? Internalize this, what do you need to do? How do you need to respond today? I say again, if you do wanna take these verses seriously, with your hands and your feet and your eyes. Um, By every black Bible, there's a knife and a sharp spoon. And so during the reflection song, you can consider what needs to come off or not. I hope I've made that clear. That's not the case. What do you need to do? Do you need to adjust your mindset? Do you need to be reminding yourself that this sin, this temptation is dangerous? Whatever that is, it's like an intruder in your home that threatens you and your family. That it's like, it's poisonous, like a gallon of nasty milk that'll just wreck your insides. Or maybe it's more your practical life. You understand these things, but it's living it out. It needs to be mortified and transformed with godly discipline. What do you need to cut out? What do you need to cut out? Seeking the spirit for help to cut these things out and be transformed. What about your guard? Is your guard down? Do you need to fortify yourself with accountability and discernment? Or, or maybe in a full encompassing way, are you not looking up? Are you not looking up to God for what you're in right now? Because I think with this, we can be, we could be caught in a guise of like spiritual self-improvement than actually transformed by an intimate relationship with God. When we engage his word, when we pray, when we have accountability, when we walk in his ways and not the corrupt ones. I 
encourage you, remind yourself of his nature towards you as his child, just like we did in Jesus' conversation with you. Remind yourself of his nature towards you in your struggles and seek him. God loves you, church. Let's walk. Let's walk in him. Let's respond and choose the way that he has for us. Let's mortify and fortify together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. As we talk about temptation, that we wouldn't just focus on how bad we are, but of how good you are and how grace has bounded in our lives and that we would walk in it. We would strive to be wise in seeking you and reminding us of your infinite love for us when we do struggle and we turn to you. Oh Lord, we love you. Show us, continue to show in our lives, remind us of how much you love us and that you've got us, you've got us, Lord. We love you and we praise you in your holy name. Amen.